0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nightlife Crime. Australian security and intelligence has had question marks over just how secure it is from foreign infiltration, probably since the beginning of its formation. These days, of course, the, the Chinese are said to be of most concern, but from the late 1940s onwards, uh, our allies were concerned about whether or not there might be spies within ASIO's walls. Indeed, ASIO was formed in 1949 to reassure the United States that the Gifley government wasn't full of fellow travellers. And, of course, listeners would be aware of the Petrov affair in the 50s, the Ivanov-Koombe scandal of the early 1980s, and uh, the last years of the Cold War saw concerns of extensive penetration of ASIO by the KGB to the extent that US intelligence services had to curb some intelligence sharing. It's a shadowy world and hard to get accurate information, I must say. But a new podcast series, A Nest of Traitors, has been produced by journalist Joey Watson. He became fascinated as to the level to which KGB infiltration of ASIO occurred through the latter part of the Cold War. And he spent some years digging into what's known and what uh, might have been overlooked. Joey joins us this evening. Good evening. Welcome to Night Live.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Phil. I'm very excited to talk about spies.
0: Yes. Well, it's a a shadowy world, but partly because it's hard to get accurate information. Indeed. Isn't it? Yes. Uh, What made you curious to dig deeper?
1: Well, Phil, uh, for as long as I've been uh, a, a human being, actually, I've been obsessed with spy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I became a journalist, that uh, obsession, I was very lucky to kind of make professional uh, in a way. Uh, it's been the, uh, the field of a, a lot of my inquiries, partly because these are powerful public institutions that are worthy of journalistic scrutiny, mm-hmm. but um, also because they are very cool stories um, full of twists and turns and mystery. Um, it is indeed a world of of deception. So um, as I was getting my start, I set out to tell some Cold War spy stories about um, Australia. And as I did so, I started to notice a pattern, which was that so many Australian Cold War spy operations had ended in failure. And uh, as I started to probe for a theory as to why, um, with many of the um, former spies that I'd kind of befriended around the country, uh, I started um, to hear this theory. And that was that the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, which you mentioned, our, our premier domestic mm. spy agency, had actually been infiltrated um, by the KGB, the Soviet Union's spy service, the enemy. And, uh, and the identity of the traitor
0: had been suppressed. Mm. Yes, indeed. It, uh, it does emerge that it probably was. In episode one of, the, of your podcast, you introduced a former ASIO officer, Russian translator George Saddle. Now, George became the subject of an investigation. The AFP started watching him. You, you've interviewed him. Here he is telling of his realisation that he was under surveillance. And then one day I went for a walk and I said to my wife, I said, look at that that doesn't look like lanterns. She looks. at their cameras.
1: Sadil was being watched for months. And then, on a cold night in early June 1993, there was a loud knocking on his front
0: door. The trouble is he was the wrong guy, wasn't he? He ultimately was,
1: mm. um, and he had become the main suspect of an AFP operation called mm. Liver, Phil. So, so what had happened was, um, in fact, the, the, the information about there being a Mollinesio, or at least the most consequential information, didn't come out until after the Berlin Wall had, had fallen. It was in 1992 in the, in the snowy city, a newly independent city of Riga, Latvia, um, that a bloke had showed up Um, at the British Embassy carrying a plastic bag uh, full of groceries. And from below the groceries, he retrieved a sheaf of, of documents and, uh, and he, he identified himself as Vasily Matrokin. He'd been a KGB archivist. Mm-hmm. He'd spent some um, 30 years smuggling um, secret KGB documents out of the KGB archives in his shoe, hiding them, hiding them under the floor of his log cabin in the outer suburbs of Moscow. And amongst the some 11,000 pages that he'd given up to British intelligence, was a section on Australia. And in that section, there was incontrovertible evidence that ASIO had been penetrated. And the AFP were brought in. They um, created a profile for the mole. They, they worked out that it was someone with a five-letter surname and who had a wife in ASIO. Um, George Sadil became the main suspect, um, mm. S-A-D-I-L. He didn't have a wife, but he had a sister who was a respected operator in the organization. And uh, he came under quite intense... Um, suspicion um, to the point of him even being arrested, um, the AFP found out that there were documents hidden, um, or sorry, laid, splayed out, not hidden, on uh, George Shadill's living room floor. Mm. And so they, uh, they brought him in. But uh, the 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 court trial was um, what many people have called one of the most memorable um, in history. I've spoken to lawyers from both the prosecution and the defence, and the uh, the lengths that the AFP and ASIO went to were quite extraordinary. But they couldn't um, ultimately pin uh, a connection between Sadil uh, and uh, and the KGB. So the case more or less f- fell over. Um, he was not the mole.
0: No, uh, you might ask why ASIO had such difficulty in identifying its own ranks, but they did. In fact, they've never really made a concession that they had a mole at all, even though they clearly did. In the third volume of the official ASIO history, which was published in 2016, they do admit in vague terms that, uh, yes, they did have a mole. Well, they'd been penetrated by a foreign power, which is the, the phrase that is used, uh, but they don't say by who. But we now know who the mole was, don't we? Well,
1: it's interesting that you cite the official history because it mm. kind of becomes an important point in in, in the podcast. Um, what I ultimately learn about is a, a report that had been commissioned by Paul Keating after the George Sedil inquiry. Mm. Um, it, it now fell to him to act. It was a very public embarrassment. And, um, and he, he got a, a bloke named Michael Cook, to um, try and investigate the problem, to put an end to the problem, Michael Cook had been a diplomat, worked in intelligence briefly, was extremely well connected. His daughter had dated Obama briefly, um, and uh, I, I've so. But but the the report that he produced was. Incredibly tightly held, and to this day, it remains under it's never been released. Ne- never it? been released, and Ooh. and you know my attempt, which which is you know kind of chronicled in the podcast, is only the latest attempt. But the best theory as to what was, what was in it is is that in fact it had uh, identified multiple um, suspected moles. That the the evidentiary standard wasn't there. They'd seen what had happened with George Shadil and how embarrassing it was, and so that they'd been retired out. And that's when the official history comes out, because of course Keating himself. You know, sticks to the prime ministerial convention of not speaking about intelligence matters, at least in this mm. realm. Um, his inner circle are also reticent to talk about it. Very few people know what was in it. But the the official historians who wrote the book that you just spoke about, they actually, um, where, where the book was promoted on them having unfettered access. And so I, I went and spoke to one of the official historians and sort of put that idea to him. And, and this is uh, in in episode five of the of, mm. of the podcast. He 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 says um, that. Uh, four might be underplaying it, that in fact more had to be retired out because they're circles of, of influence. Mm. And so you don't get more um kind of emphatic <laughs> than that, Phil.
0: No, indeed. Yeah. Joey Watson's with us. We, he's um, produced a podcast uh, called Nest of Traders about spies inside Asia, which they're certainly... Well, Asia of course, is never going to admit to this, you'd think. But although one of the moles uh, we know about, he's, he's dead now, but he he never was held to account for his espionage was an ASIO officer called uh, Ian George Peacock. Mm. Now, we know about him uh, mainly because Four Corners revealed that he'd been identified by a former Canadian intelligence officer, Dan Venner, who's writing a book on the mole. But the, the life and crimes in that sense too of Ian George Peacock went unpunished, didn't they?
1: Certainly, and uh, it was a pretty extraordinary mm. uh, investigation. Um, he was one of the names that was on my plate, but you know in the world of espionage, you can never predict where things are going to come from and uh, you know it took the the incredible work of the of the Four Corners team um, and this uh, Canadian intelligence officer of all people who um, i 've uh, had some correspondence with he's mm. now does some work with u um, s intelligence, which means he has access to all sorts of uh, Soviet and Russian defectors that have kind of helped him to, to build a profile of who the mole was. And, uh, and indeed, Ian George Peacock became uh, sort of one of the first um, conclusively known moles of the Cold War uh, in that program earlier, earlier this year. And and he, he, was selling, he was selling
0: stuff to the Soviets for money. Wasn't he?
1: He was, yeah. You know, there are many complex factors that we see from um, moles overseas. Of course, the earlier, the famous moles from the UK, people like Kim Philby were mm. um, motivated by a deep sense of ideology. Um, the American moles, like the famous ones, Bob Hansen, Aldrich James, they were uh, motivated by money. And uh, in the case of Ian George Peacock, um, it certainly seems that it was a combination of money. And um, he was also quite embittered at the organization. He'd sort of been stuck in middle management mm. for quite some time um he'd gone had a had quite a kind of posh upbringing he'd gone to Geelong Grammar you know the school of Mur, of Murdoch and uh, King Charles I think was there at some, yeah. <laughs> at some at some stage and um and and yeah ultimately uh he he became a traitor.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh even though they thought it might be him they they never managed to pin anything on him did they?
1: No, and I think that this is really kind of gets to the heart of this story. Mm. Um, We can go back as early as the Royal Commission into intelligence security that was um, called by the Whitlam government back in the 1970s, in 1974. It had run for a couple of years, the Hope Royal Commission, and it's referred, as it's referred to. And it actually produced a secret supplement that was separate to the main report, which details 11 points of concern as to why they think ASIO may have been penetrated by a hostile intelligence agency and encourages ASIO to investigate its mole problem. But as I find out in the podcast over the the subsequent decades, right up to the 90s, it didn't really happen. There was no conclusive investigation, and when you compare compare that to the extraordinarily lengths that um, you know overseas agencies mm. like the FBI had gone to, you know, your listeners might be familiar with the name Bob Hanssen. He was one of the great traitors of the late Cold War. Mm. Um, the the uh, Americans had, had uh, the FBI had created an almost artificial Truman Show like reality feel for him to exist in. They'd mm. they'd put a um, uh, a kind of fake office where he had fake employees, a fake boss, and someone working below him who were all, of course, spies who mm. were trying to catch him out on his treachery. But in Australia, uh, there's no evidence of any such thing happening. And uh, the, the the people who were at the top of the mole hunt have have never really answered for this. And ASIO, to this day, um, has never really reckoned with it.
0: No, they haven't. You spoke with some quite, uh, well, you spoke with quite a few former spies uh... Uh, including some pretty colourful characters, including this one.
1: What should I call you in in order to protect your identity, like a code name? Badger, water rat, Mole. Nah, can't call me molly It's too close. Well, some people call me the Swamp Fox. Swamp? It sounds a bit like Shrek, you know, like the movie about the ogre. I don't mind if you want to use Swamp. <laughs> We love a good code name, Phil. Indeed, mm. there's so many animals saved in my contacts now that if uh, if anyone was to go through my phone contact list, they'd think I was mm. friends with a lot of um, pets with telephones.
0: It does make you ask questions about, <laughs> about how much faith you should have in intelligence services, doesn't it? I mean, they do important work, but uh, at the same time, They are also very vulnerable.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very true, and I think you know a lot of the um, former um, spies that I that I interview and have some some of whom I've become quite close to over the you know long process of making this podcast. um, They are you know incredibly capable, and they dedicated their lives to. A uh, you know a cause that they now feel was ultimately mm. sabotaged from the inside, and you know this is a kind of topic that they you know when they get around in in the uh, in the bowl the bolos and mm. the rsls around Australia and talk about the old times. This is certainly a topic that comes up from them to, from time to time um, as a great unresolved question. And mm. um, you know, I think the what uh, one of the kind of sen- central pressure points in the podcast is what you know why why hasn't ASIO kind of a- answered this question even for them? Why haven't they documented what mm. they did and in fact did not do um, to, to catch out the traders in their, in their midst? Indeed.
0: Joey, good to talk. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Phil. Cheers.